makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power and power. Greetings and good day, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. It's good. It's a good day for all of us to be here. And this is First Voices Radio, and I send you greetings and strength from the east gate of Turtle Island, and where the sun and the water touched the earth at once. And I am Teokazin Ghost Horse. And you are listening to an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio, now in its 29th year broadcasting. And Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. You can now hear us on iTunes. Excuse me. Apple, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Budsprouts, Spotify, as well as firstvoicesindigenousradio.org. The American Indian Religious Freedom Act which is a United States federal law enacted by joint resolution of the Congress in 1978. Prior to the act, many aspects of Native American religions and sacred ceremonies had been prohibited by law. The law was enacted to return basic civil liberties to Native Americans, Inuit, Aleuts, and Native Hawaiians, and to allow them to practice, protect, and preserve their inherent right of freedom to belief, to believe, express, and exercise their traditional religious rights, spiritual and cultural practices. These rights include, but are not limited to, access to sacred sites, freedom to worship through traditional ceremonial rites, and the possession and use of cultural traditionally considered sacred by their respective culture, cultures. I speak with Charmaine Whiteface, and who is a Oglala Tituan Ocheti Shakomi. 
She's a great grandmother, scientist, and writer. And we talk about her column that it was appeared in a Native Sun News today out of South Dakota about fighting for religious freedom um, again. And so she writes about many of the adults who who remember before that time because we discussed the fact that maybe the younger generations are forgetting exactly the, the roots of why they can express themselves much more much more today but still there is to work to be done on the freedom religion American Indian Religious Freedom Freedom Act and uh, that is 1978 so I talk with Charmaine Whiteface and we'll pick up this interview now I wanted to know more about why you wrote this uh, face for fighting for religious freedom again when most people, even in, in the larger American context, don't know that we as Native people did not have religious freedom for many factors, but also that it, it was passed 43 years ago, as you say in your article, Fighting for Religious Freedom Again in 1978. And uh, most people, even Native people, aren't, aren't really, because we're so into the, the rush of what it's counting to America that we often were forgotten. And I know you've heard this phrase or terminology, cancel culture, but that has happened to Native people long before the, the terminology ever came up. What makes you want to write about something that is that is so prevalent and yet we are uninformed about it, even as Native people? I kept getting phone calls from the prison. I know people in the prison, South Dakota State Penitentiary, and even last year, all last year, um, I kept getting phone calls from them saying they're not letting us have the sweat lodge ceremony. And that for us is one of the biggest, it, it is our oldest spiritual ceremony. We don't have the word for religion in our language. We uh, Praying and spirituality is a life way. It is our life way. But anyway, I was... 30 something when the Indian Religious Freedom Act was passed in 1978. And some of those prisoners at the South Dakota State Penitentiary know about my writing and know about my work. And I was getting calls that they kept denying them. For 14 months, they denied them the right to conduct the sweat lodge ceremony. And they would let them have the pipe ceremony. The pipe ceremony is probably our newest ceremony. That's our youngest one. But the Inipi covers everything. And it is a specifically man ceremony. And they need it at that prison so bad. It, it helps them release anger, stress. It helps them heal. And even when they first stopped it, I was surprised because the virus is killed by heat. And so why would they want to deny them the right to pray when they allowed the Christian priests and Christian ministers to all come in? They uh, even feed their Jewish people and they allowed the Jewish rabbis to come in and they feed the Jewish prisoners there kosher food. Um, and they, those that believe in Islam, they have a special room where they can go pray because remember, they're supposed to pray five, five times a day. Yet... Native American prisoners were denied their religious freedom to conduct the sweat lodge ceremony. And that, that, that really bothered me. 
finally, finally, after 14 months, they said that they had already had contacted the warden and the warden told them, write to the governor. And so I thought that's an easy one everybody can do. And if we flood the governor's office with letters, then maybe they will allow Native American prisoners the right to pray, the right to conduct the Inipi, the sweat lodge ceremony. And so that's what made me write this editorial in the Native Sun News, because I remember what it was like before. I was an outlaw before 1978. I went to ceremonies. I, I had a pipe. I was already an outlaw. And when I was raising my kids too, I would tell them, no, you don't tell people about this because it was against the law. And when they first made it against the law, what they did to our people was kill them or arrest them or send them to place here in South Dakota that was called Canton. It was called the Indian Insane Asylum where they would do lobotomies on them without anesthesia. So I know those things. I know what happened before. And in the constitution, the US constitution, it says freedom of religion. You know, everybody's supposed to have freedom of religion. So what I did before I wrote this editorial was I wrote a letter to the governor. Christy Nome, she's only 49 years old. She was six years old when the Indian Religious Freedom Act was passed. So she probably doesn't even know about it. A lot of people do not know about the Indian Religious Freedom Act and they don't know that all Native American people were denied our right to practice our spirituality for nearly a hundred years since the uh, late 1880s. That's when, and I saw, um, I saw um, a letter that was sent to, it would have been the Department of War, the Secretary of War at that time in the 1800s, we were under the War Department. And I read a letter in the archives, the North Dakota State Archives in Bismarck, North Dakota. I read a letter um, from a priest who sent it to the Secretary of Defense about why they needed to stop our religious beliefs, our religious practices. And he was mentioning a ceremony that we, we have, one of our ceremonies that we have. And he said, everybody knows this is not possible, but just in case, <laughs> mm. just in case this was possible. That's why they had to deny our religious freedom just in case a miracle might happen, you know, they needed to deny our religious freedom. So that's what made me, anytime our religious freedom is, looks like it might be denied, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be standing up because I was alive and I was practicing when I was still an outlaw before 1978, before we had the American Indian Religious Freedom Act. Charmaine Whiteface, I really, the way I think is, this is behind a lot of activity, activists, uh, events that we do as Native people from Standing Rock to before, and as you mentioned, before 1978. A lot of that was banned because it would bring Native people together. And yet, even as you say, the coronavirus, the heat kills it. And most people say, oh, well, that's just a Native American saying to romanticize the, the ceremonies of the Lakota in this case. But 
you as a scientist, all scientists know what heat does. And you also said that all the prisoners were vaccinated. And yet, as you call it, the double standard or um, hypocrisy is being exposed here. And has it really changed from that time to 1978? Because right now what you're saying, it it doesn't seem to have made that much of a difference, although maybe physically in appearance it has, but yet when it comes down to the core of who we are, that's still being denied. Right, right. And I think that's that's the root of many, many of our problems is that being denied to learn our own spirituality. Like I said, in our language, in the Lakota language, we do not have a word for religion. It's a life way. It's a way you live your life. And um, that wasn't, it was denied. It wasn't just denied to adults. It was denied to children when they were taken off to the residential boarding schools. And it was forced, uh, Christianity was forced on everybody. And so the people don't know that when um, they put us in the prisoner of war camps, they gave those prisoner of war camps to the different denominations. By prisoner of war camps, I mean what they call reservations today. Pine Ridge Reservation is prisoner of war camp 344. That's where I'm from. And that reservation was given to the Catholic Church. And so the Catholic Church built um, a big mission school there and denied the people, the children, from learning their religion um, from many things about our culture. I mean, cutting our hair, there's a, there's a reason for that and a reason why you let your hair grow long. And yet that was one of the things that was denied. And so it wasn't just our spirituality, speaking our language. They killed children if they would say one Lakota word. And these, no, I don't come by these. I mean, this is nothing made up. These are stories that were told to me by my elders who experienced it. My parents were in that really harsh time in the 1920s and 1930s when they were forbidding them to speak our language, when they were forbidding, when they called any of our ceremonies, they told them these are the work of the devil. And like I said, I read that that letter to that priest, that Catholic priest wrote to the Secretary of Defense in the archives. And he said, we know they can't do this, but just in case, just in case, because they didn't understand, they never knew our spirituality. They didn't know what it was about. We didn't have a, a word for it. You know, we just had a really, really strong spiritual connection with, with God and everybody. Everything, not just everybody, everything. I was shocked when those, when those prisoners were calling me and telling me they won't let us pray. They won't let us have a sweat lodge ceremony. And I said, are you guys writing letters? Are you doing what you can do? And they said, yes. And they did. And then finally I said, enough is enough. Enough. Uh-uh. No, I'm going to write a letter to the governor, which I did. And I'm going to write an editorial and ask other people to write letters. And by May 25th, they allowed them now to have their sweat lodge, the Inipi, the first one for almost 15 months. You know, and I think that pressure from other people who are aware, as you mentioned, what the ceremony of the Inipi does for people. And earlier you did mention that others are, are allowed to practice their religion, quote unquote. 
when others practice our ceremony, the sweat lodge, the pipe ceremony, others besides Lakota, it seems that's okay because they can do it anywhere. They do it anywhere anyway. Um, but yet that is still a misunderstanding. If they ever show up when it comes down to situations that you encountered with the state prison system in South Dakota, do you know of any other states that are also denying Native people their right to spirituality? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I just, you know, what's in South Dakota, but we're the we're state anyway, so... Yeah. You know, remember the the um, U.S. Civil Rights Commission said South Dakota is the most racist state in the United States. The racism is aimed at Native American Indians. I think about it. Well, it's the Mississippi of the North, but no one's saying it's the South Dakota of of the South, right? Right. <laughs> and, and when I think about why is it that... Is it the core I talked about? You talked about the importance for men who need the prayers and ceremonies and the values and what it does for your emotional, your mental, your spiritual being. Could you talk about that a little bit? The the um, the Inipi is our very, very first. It was the first ceremony ever. And it's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Um, it's called a purification ceremony. And it purifies both your soul and your body. And um, uh, women are allowed to go. Women are allowed, usually women with women. But the, the ceremony really was uh, for the men. It, it helps men so much. Um, they, this, is a, this is the crazy part about this prison. They allowed them to have the pipe ceremony. Once a week, they could do a pipe ceremony. But if you think about it, if it was to stop germs, the pipe ceremony is passed from mouth to mouth. So no, it was not to stop the coronavirus inside the sweat lodge. Inside the sweat lodge, that coronavirus would have been killed. It, you know, all the germs are killed in there. It is so hot in there. It's, it's hotter than a sauna. <laughs> and it's, it, there's certain protocols certain protocols for the Inupi, for the sweat lodge, so that, no, it, if they were going to get sick, no, they would not have even gotten sick. You know, there's certain protocols and everything. But it, it's, it, it's just, just appalled me. It appalled me. They allowed them to do the pipe ceremony, but they refused to allow them to do the Inupi. And the Inupi is the oldest one, the first one. That... That ceremony, many, many medicine men I know will not let you even go near a pipe until you have already gone through the inipi because mm -hmm. it purifies you. Then you're able to touch a pipe. I think that really goes with the understanding. They were afraid of our healing, the healing aspects of the inipi, and therefore did not want to have it be known that the healing qualities and powers of an EP may have said that if it takes care of the virus, then maybe they won't want the vaccine. But they made it mandatory where everybody had to take the vaccine. It seems like that's how far maybe they know something and maybe we're being kept from knowing something, anything about our own ceremonies. And a lot of people did step up and say, well, this is the easy way. And I, I, I would dream someday that 
all the native, all Lakota people at least were were able to go and understand that the first medicine is the NEP, and it would take care of all of that mental strain and that physical the purify, as you say. But I am again can't help thinking that afraid of the healing aspects of the Inipi and and that it would say that therefore they did not have to take the vaccine because then that would disprove the vaccine that there was already an answer for Native people and for everybody else. Yes. During this time that they did not allow them to have the Inipi, I think it was March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, in November, the prisoners in that prison, so it was a, a long while after the already pandemic had hit, they all got sick. They all got the coronavirus, and five or six of them died of that we know of. Um, but all the prisoners got the coronavirus last, last fall. Now, exactly when and how, because see, it had to have been brought in by the correctional officers because the prisoners don't go out any place. So the correctional officers brought the coronavirus into the prison last um, probably October, November sometime. And that's when all the prisoners were getting sick. And then, but it was during this time that that they had already been denied the sweat loss ceremony for nine or 10 months by then. And then later, you know, few months later in in January, I think probably or January of this year, then all the prisoners were given the vaccine, the two doses of the vaccine. So as a scientist, I was really cautious and I still am cautious because the vaccine was tested on Caucasians, Mm -hmm. not on us, not on indigenous. And our DNA is different. It is different. And so are we going to have, you know, long-term consequences of this? I don't know. But that's another thing that did not happen when they were testing the vaccine. You know, that's a whole new new discussion by itself. Yeah, it <laughs> but is. yes, I see what you're saying. And and so I've thought of those same things too. I mean, we've been guinea pigs in the past many times. So I just, just now, just before I got on, I was reading an article about something in Canada with children where they starved these children to see which vitamins would help them and which would not, what levels were at that they needed certain foods. So even, you know, that's, that was, that was in the forties and fifties. I was a little girl then. So if I lived in Canada and was at one of those residential schools, I probably would have been tested too, (laughs) but this denying them a ceremony that could have stopped the coronavirus. I don't know why they, you know, they're so afraid of our spirituality, but our spirituality is very strong and we have many, many miracles happen all the time. Maybe that's what they're scared of. I, I think so. Cause you know, you can think, well, it, it's hard to get health care for native people. And so native people are kind of open to getting free health care because that's how it was for us as as Lakota in this case, healthcare was free. And now it's, okay, you can get regular good healthcare, but we're going to give you the vaccine. And, and <laughs> this is good for you, right? So everybody kind of has forced, it's mandated that they, they get that. 
Is there anything that you would stress out there if this situation ever happened again, Charmaine? Well, well, it, it's like I said in the in the ending of my article. We have to always be vigilant about everybody's rights being violated and religious freedom rights. If we didn't, if we didn't, if those if those prisoners never fought for their religious freedom right, if they didn't go to the warden, if they didn't keep contacting me and I never wrote a letter to the governor or I never wrote this editorial, then how soon would it be that on the outside they would start stopping religious freedom? And, uh, and I'm not talking just about us. It could be the Muslims. It could be the Jews. It could be just the Episcopalians. You know, not the Catholics, but the Episcopalians, or it could be just the Catholics. You know, that's where you—that's where suppression of any of our rights starts coming in. Is if we all step back and don't say anything. That silence is what is can be the more more damaging than anything else. Is when people are silent, then they'll come for you. Then they'll come for you. I'll end it right there. But it's good to have you on the air. Thanks for being here. Thank you very much. And thank you, Tioxin. Thank you for doing this good work. And that was Charmaine Whiteface, who is an Oglala Tituan Ocheti Shakoin. She is a great-grandmother, scientist, and writer. We discussed her column, Fighting for Religious Freedom, in 1978 to this day, to this day which was published in the Native Sun News today in Rapid City, South Dakota. And I want to... Imagine that, you know, something like this is history to a lot of people. It doesn't matter to a lot of people, but you have to think about how your nation called America or the USA was formed was because of that duress you all were feeling over there in Europe to come here and suppress others because of that government that is voted for. So that's what we're saying, and it's, um, you know, everyone needs their medicine. This is First Voices Radio. My name is Teokasen Ghost Horse. Dale.
Yes, and that was our next guest coming up is uh, Hilda Lanzman, who is Sami, and Eriki Fedorov, who is uh, Sami, two of the four musicians from the band, and from Guyanus is their name of the band, which means echo. And they hail from Inari Uchjoki in Finland's far north. And Hilda is the band's lead vocalist and yoiker. And Eriki plays bass. And there are other band, band members, Nicholas Fransett, guitar and Kevin Fransett with his drums. And Kayanis, again, means echo, which performs northern Sami ethno-progressive music. And the echoes of Sami tradition encounter the present moment in a form of colorful combination in their music, a dialogue between traditional and modern Sami music. And so you will hear an interview conducted with Hilda Lanzmann and Eriki for support and uh, in the music's emphasizing the strong nature of the connection of the Sami people. And the second part would be referring to Hilda Lanzman and Vivi Maria, S-A-A-R-E-N-K-Y-L-A, Sarienkaila, make up du, the duo Vilda. Hilda, her name, is, and Vivi bring together the yoik, an accordion in a dynamic and refreshing way, as it says, combining mystical yoiks, swinging rhythms and improvised improvisation and influenced by contemporary pop music and Finnish folk music. And Vilda, Vilda with a V, takes listeners to the northern part of Samiland where the winds blow. And so we present Guyanus and Vilda as the bands. The music you just heard was, was Snowblow. And Vilda have been, they've been nominated this year for a Summer Solstice Indigenous Music Award in the, in the category of Indigenous and International Indigenous Artist Group Recording of the Year. And the Summer Solstice Indigenous Music Awards will take place on June 12th at the National Arts Centre in Ottawa, Ontario, in Canada. Both bands can also be found on social media. And for more information about the Summer Solstice Indigenous Festival and Music Awards, you can go to Summer Solstice festivals.ca and uh, I'd like to conduct this interview, play this interview with Hilda and Ereki of the band Guyanus and uh, we, we start talking about the York and what the York means and listen folks, this is something that is profound in the sense the way she explains what a York is it's just not a yodel like many people think it is so I'm going to go ahead with this interview with Hilda Lanzman we want to know about you, Hilda, and I know that you are Sami at, at heart in, in your in your DNA. And, yeah. and and I know the music. The music is the yoiks. And would you explain how this started with your mother actually and your mother and your languages? And I know there's I think ten different languages spoken, dialects of the Sami. Yes. It is. Um yeah, I have been one of the lucky ones to learn the yoik in a traditional way, like through through the family, like orally. And um, yeah, my mom has learned from uh, her uncle uh, from yoiks from her area. Then she has been teaching me, and uh, and I think I started yoiking very early age. And the yoik is a uh, quite um, a special way of uh, tradition that it has so many meanings or functions. And uh, like you kind of see the traditional yoik that it's kind of an 
another kind of essence or a name for the thing that the yoik is uh, like dedicated to or like yeah it's kind of other form of the thing like for example I have given a yoik from my mother and it's kind of my other name and I can also introduce that to people and uh, also it's a way of learning from the um, past generations and also places and animals can have their own yoiks and you can kind of uh, learn it uh, as well and somehow take have the connection with the place or the animal thing and like have it in you in a way and when you are it sounds like you're feeling the word yoik because it's interrelated between animals and the description you're using it would seem it's not just painting a picture but the yoik is the picture and is that kind of like what I'm thinking? Yeah, it is the picture. It's, it is part of the thing in a way that you're like, also when you're yoking, you're kind of carrying it with you, the thing, and you're kind of being it by yourself or or connecting with the thing. And it's a, also very um, like a essential way of com- communicating as well with the, with the lands and nature and also with the people. And like, that's how you get to know the families and, and people and uh, things like this. And also the past generations. So you carried that on to what the band that you have as, as with uh, Ereki in Guyanas. And that has been nominated for this Solstice Indigenous Music Awards in Canada. Um, it's far reaching. That's what I'm saying. The Yoik is is preceding you um the legacy the the history the spirit of the sami people to remain who they are i think it's reaching across the world and i I feel that that music that you're doing now your music is needed in the world as much as a lot of indigenous voices are now being and coming forward and i'm sure you heard about standing rock and it's in the same spirit as your people and our people i would say if you don't mind is our people is that to protect the earth to know the earth and that yoik is the medicine so to speak yeah yeah you can view it this that way as well mm. Mm. You have this band with Guyanus and the types of music could you describe that music with Guyanus um it's uh like uh, it becomes modern kind of uh, sami music with influences from yoik and in a modern form when i'm i'm uh, taking part to it but in uh, instrumental ways it's more like of a progressive rock music and and having well kind of uh, all kinds of vibes from uh, different uh, regions of world so maybe it could, could be seen as a world music but i don't know does it tell anything about the music but yeah um you are also on another band with a partner vilda that that music is is just a duet of both of you and and your your friend and i'm really interested because that unplugged type of music i would say it is it reached right in there and, and said this is you have to listen to this that's what it felt it just came and it's not it's not set for mainstream or anything, even though they may hear it, but it, it just it's meant for the core of all the humans that we are. And that's what pulled me out, that that music. Yeah, it, it's an interesting project. It's a uh, like um, Finnish accordion 
player who plays on it and then I'm doing my thing and it's uh, kind of a meeting of the uh, indigenous and also the Finnish kind of uh, traditions and also like just getting influences from other types of um, musical genres and, and cultures and uh, it's kind of a mixture of many things and uh, in a musical way you could see it more like maybe like a um, movie kind of music and it's sometimes very atmospheric and sometimes it's kind of intense and very humoristic and maybe uh, a rough uh, in a way as well. Hilda, you seem very young. How long have you been singing? I, I would probably guess since you were a child, but in in live public performances as you are now to be in, in the formal setting. Yeah, um, well, I started like publicly uh, perform when I was a teenager. Uh, before that, I uh, when I was a little child, I might uh, do the traditional vocals, the Joikin style. Um, but then I went to the elementary school. I started studying in school as a child, and and uh, then uh, it wasn't so cool anymore at mm. there because there was these um, stereotypes about Samis and Joiking, and I think I was a little bit afraid of being stereotyped and mocked in a, in a school. So, uh, and I was very shy, so I didn't really. Uh, almost didn't uh, dare to talk <laughs> in front of people. So I think um, uh, we were very lucky to have a Sami uh, music teacher who uh, had many daughters. So I guess he knew <laughs> how to uh, work with children so uh, and get them doing the music. So I think uh, that motivated and inspired me and, and encouraged me to perform and I think that's how I started like more uh, being interested in that I was like I don't know 14 years old or something and uh, since that it's started more um, go to the professional side of being musician yeah and that musician is being a good steward I think to the original sound that you have saw me and I, I hear that regardless of what instruments are put with it Acapella, you could probably, and I think that's what it comes from, acapella. Your, your whole being is acapella, and then everything else follows you and, and the language and the spirit. And And I'm thinking that, Ereki, if you could describe how you support Hilda in your instrumentation and as a band, what what would happen? Because you you also have uh, Sami heritage. How does that come together for you once you've heard Hilda and now you are with a band Guyanus with Hilda. I don't know how how the, how supportive have I been, but um, in my opinion, I I found Hilda. She's a very powerful powerful, powerful uh, woman, and um, I don't know does she need support from me. But of course, I try to be as supportive as I as I can. But uh, maybe Hilda can answer better how 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 has has it been? Okay. <laughs> okay. How how is that, Hilda? How does how does he come through with support and all your friends that support you? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's very I value it very much to share a band with another Sammy because it's it's a big mental support. I don't need to be 
uh, all the time taking all the responsibility to represent all the Sami. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of, uh, uh, that's a little bit <laughs> makes me more relaxed <laughs> in, uh, in the performing. And um, yeah, I think it's, that's the in, very important for me and uh, to share some, with someone that similar kind of worldviews and and mm. I think the gift. So one final question, and I'm sure we'll talk again in the future. The message. What is your message, Hilda, when it comes out with the music? People want to hear this, and I know we as Native people in the U.S., also in Canada, which to us as Native people, there is no borders. There are no borders. And when we hear Sami music, we're like not stereotypically haunted, but it rings familiar for us. It's very familiar for us, you know? Yeah, I, I feel the same when hearing uh, like different uh, different musicians playing their, in their traditional or in a way that they have... Uh, that is very close to them. And uh, even though people coming from different kind of areas, but they're, they're, I think there's something similar that we share many times and it's very powerful to be hearing that. And it's, it's also very important also to see other indigenous cultures and have those meetings because it really, it can empower you and like give more like hope to things that okay we are we are still here and we we have the strength and we are proud people about our own cultures and yeah i think that's very important (laughs) (laughs) no it is it is you're you're like planting spiritual seeds if i can say that and when i hear your music it, it makes me tear up too so you know that that that's true. It's good. It's good message. And thank you for for your being and your music and Ediki for his support and his his music. And yes, we will talk again. And it it's real. Keep it real, Hilda. And thanks to your mother and father for bringing you here and your people for your support <laughs> and for the consciousness of Mother Earth. That's what I'm feeling underneath that message. So, yes, mm-hmm. I'm honored. I'm honored to have both of you. Very honored and big respect. I'm not going to ask you which one's your favorite. You know, I'm just going to say, yeah. I like this one. So I'm going to do that. Okay. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Take care, Hilda and Eriki. Yeah. Take care. Bye. It's so you good too. to see you. Yeah. You right. too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
And that was Hilda Lundsman and Vivi Maria Sarenkila make up the duo Vilda, and uh, they bring together the yoik and accordion in the dynamic and refreshing way that you've heard it. And with the mystical yoik, swinging rhythms and improvisation. And you've heard this contemporary indigenous and fusion of modern day music, Western music, and it's being nominated and actually as the in the category of the International Indigenous Art Artist Group Recording of the Year in the Summer Solstice Indigenous Music Awards will take place on June 12th at the National Arts Center in Ottawa. Hilda Lundsman is, is a singer for both bands, Guyanas and Vilda. Uh, you can look at summersolsticefestivals.ca and I'd like to continue with just another one. That song that you heard was, if I could say it, U-T-S-J-O-K-I hyphen D-I-S-K-O. And I think it, I'll, I'll give it an attempt here. It's Ustjoiki Disco. There I said it. I gave it a go. And uh, if Hilda, you're listening, well, this is what it is. And uh, thank you for being here. And we'll continue on with another one that I can't pronounce. It's uh, G-O-A-S-K-I-N. V-I-E-I-L-J-A. And uh, I'm not going to attempt that, but it sounds very intriguing. Here we go, another one with Vilda. Oh, 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 oh,
We'd like to thank you for joining us here at First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. We brought you voices from South Dakota and from another continent in Finland. And I'd like to thank you again for joining us here at First Voices Radio. Doksha ake watching telo.